Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silverstein. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with a bonus two-part interview episode of the show featuring a couple of the biggest names in the world of professional wrestling. That's right, ahead of WWE Money in the Bank airing live on Sunday, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern on WWE Network. The Silver King has wrangled none other than the new WWE Champion, Drew McIntyre, for our first ever conversation. Drew has been doing some of the absolute best work of his entire career recently, and it was a pleasure to speak with the new champion heading into his first pay-per-view title defense. Also joining us on today's show is WWE superstar Alistair Black, who will be competing in his first Money in the Bank ladder match on Sunday. One of the most unique and talented wrestlers in the entire company takes us on quite a journey in our conversation. It was great to speak with him ahead of such a big moment in his career. Now, before we get to these special interviews, a reminder to tell your friends about getting over. Word of mouth is the absolute best way for this show to grow. Also, don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio. Drop those five-star ratings and reviews. It would mean a lot to me. Be sure to follow the show and share our content as well on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Slide in our DMs with questions and you will most likely get them read on the show itself. And you can also follow me personally on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. Now, here's how today's show is going to work. We're going to hit you right off the bat with these two interviews, and then we're going to end the show with some last-minute thoughts ahead of WWE Money in the Bank. Don't forget to check out our ultimate WWE Money in the Bank preview, which was published earlier this week, as well as our recaps of the Wednesday night shows. Both episodes are ready for you to listen to as soon as you're done with this one. And last but not least... A reminder, we will have instant analysis of WWE Money in the Bank shortly after the pay-per-view is over on Sunday night. So, with that said, let's kick things off by speaking to Aleister Black, who touches on Sunday's unique Money in the Bank match, his first 18 months on the main roster, Raw and SmackDown, the psychology behind his unique character, the impact of Paul Heyman on his career, and Zelina Vega's incredible month on Raw. Thrilled to welcome Alistair Black to the show ahead of WWE Money in the Bank airing this Sunday, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network and pay-per-view. Alistair will be competing for the Men's Money in the Bank briefcase in, well, one of the most unique matches probably in WWE history, and that's kind of where I want to start. You have wrestled all over the world. And your reputation far preceded you joining NXT back in 2016-2017. But this match Sunday, uh, it's one of the most interesting concepts that WWE's put forth in a while. So what do you kind of anticipate experiencing going into it? Well, I mean, I can tell you that even in all these years of being involved in professional wrestling or sports entertainment, I've never done anything like this. It is the by far the most unique concept that I've ever been involved in, which makes it fun makes it historical, but also obviously, you know, alluding to your question, um, presents itself with a, a lot of, um, I wouldn't say problems, <laughs> but uh, obstacles, uh, literal obstacles, because I've never been in that building, uh, so I don't know what to expect. I know some of them might have the advantage of being in the building and knowing what is on each floor, 
But, you know, at the end of the day, it's us fighting like we always do um, for a win, or in this case, the money in the bank uh, briefcase, the money in the bank contract for an opportunity to win or to compete for, you know, the championship, the titles. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's been something that's kind of been weighing on my mind because I just don't know what to expect. And I've seen, the, um, you know, I've seen the videos and I've seen the, 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 the teasers for it. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it goes hand in hand with like the weird things that we've done lately, the crazy unique things like the Boneyard match and, uh, the Firefly Funhouse match. It just, this, this climate that we're in right now presents an opportunity to, to give so many unique things back to fans because, you know, we're, 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 we're literally fighting with limited resources. Um, we can't have any fans ringside. So what did we do? We changed the concept, um, for fans still to be entertained. It's interesting you brought up the Boneyard match because as someone who's been wrestling, you know, I guess over a decade and a half, certainly you were probably a fan growing up. Um, you had a unique opportunity this year, which has never happened before to watch yourself at WrestleMania. And when you got the opportunity to do that, you also had the chance to see the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. And as someone who yeah. I, pre- I presume has unique tastes, uh, in entertainment mm-hmm. and, and in life, uh, seeing yeah. wrestling presented in that way, what did you think of those matches? Did it feel like wrestling? Did it feel like something that had almost transcended it and gone to a little bit of a different level? What did you think of, of those two matches? So, one of the things that I, I think sometimes fans don't understand, or people don't understand, is that we're labeled as sports entertainment, right? And sports entertainment is a broader spectrum than just professional wrestling. So, sports entertainment can also be something as the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse match. Why? Because it's entertainment. It's sports entertainment. It's a, it's a brighter concept. It's not just professional wrestling. Wherever the base will always be professional wrestling, what we're doing is sports entertainment. And I think because of that, it allows for opportunities like the Boneyard match and like the TLC match and like the Firefly Funhouse match. And I personally thought it was super cool. It's one of the wildest things that I have ever seen. And, you know, it's almost like presented more in a movie-style cinematic uh, uh, fight or, like, short movie, which I think, you know, I think it's cool as long as you embrace it. Like, if you don't, you know, dwell too long about it or – you know, overthink it because I, I think it, it gave something so unique to fans because you also have to think about it like if we were not in the climate that we are right now, uh, what the state of the world, what the state of the world is in right now, right. would the Boneyard match have taken place? And I personally don't think so because I think this is, you know, this was purely done so that, you know, I mean, we can still provide the fans with such a high level of entertainment. And it's for me, it's cool that someone as The Undertaker, who's been in this business for so long, revolutionized the business, is such an icon of, of, of this business. And then we have AJ Styles, you know, personal feelings aside, uh, for coming this Sunday, like, you know, there's a reason he calls himself the phenomenal one. Sure. And he is an icon, an icon of, of, of this era. So we have two two icons facing off in a unique style match, a unique style background, something that is not done before, at least not to this extent done before. And um, I thought it was cool, man. I just thought it was really cool. 
I think a lot of fans coming out of it also said to themselves, Undertaker, The Fiend, two perfect characters for this. Well, who else does WWE have that would also fit very well? And that answer is Aleister Black. Now, the last time I spoke to you was in 2018. It was ahead of NXT TakeOver New Orleans at that WrestleMania mm-hmm. Media Day. And we talked about yeah. your journey through your first two years in the company. But yeah. over the last 18 months, things have clearly ratcheted up for you in a major way, moving over, I don't like calling it the main roster anymore, the primary brands. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm kind of curious what the last, you know, 18 months or so has been like for you on SmackDown a little bit, but really on Raw, kind of honing your craft and becoming not necessarily a new version of Aleister Black, but a more prominent, perhaps, version of Aleister Black. Mm-hmm. So... Um, there's been times, even back then when I'm on talk, where I, I mentioned the frustrations and I mentioned like what a, what a journey it is and what, you know, what a process it's always going to be. And that, that never changed. Even from, from going to NXT, going to Raw, and at the time also doing SmackDown, you know, because me and Ricochet were, you know, we were, uh, we were tagging, we were doing, uh, SmackDown, we were doing, uh, NXT, we were doing Raw. That we had to take over at WrestleMania, you know what I mean? And I really felt that when we were doing that, I was, I was the sharpest blade on the rack. I felt that I was so sharp because it was literally wrestling, 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 wrestling. And now usually that's all I do anyway. But now you have to compete on three different brands with all of them having a different flavor. And then obviously after all that, I moved over to Raw. And um, we started building it. We started going like, okay, what do we want to do with the character? How do we want to see the character? And, you know, we did a lot of things that weren't always necessarily what we should be doing, but it gave us also a good look. It's like one of the things that you need to know is what not to do. You know what I mean? Like you can't always, like you can't always hit it up, hit, 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 hit the home run in one go. Um, and I think because we went back and forth with, how we wanted to present Alistair Black and what we wanted to do with Alistair Black, I think we were able to, like, you know, cut off some of the rough edges and go, like, you know what? Here's where we're going. This is what we're doing. And for me, it's been a very trialing time. Like I said, it was met with some frustration here and there, but there was also a lot of reward. There was also a lot of reward in the form of trust, in the form of getting compliments from my peers or getting compliments in the form from Paul Heyman or Vince, um, or even back from, 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 from Hunter, you know what I mean? Giving me, giving me, hey, man, you're doing good. And like, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's been a, as, as always, it's, it's been trial and error. It's been a lot of frustration, but it's also been a lot of good. And I feel as a professional, my field is ever changing and it's all about how I'm able to change with that change. No, it's a great answer because it's really kind of leading me into the next question I had, which it does seem like there has been a clear extended effort to establish you long term, which is not necessarily something happens with everyone. And even when it does, it isn't necessarily consistent. And there's people either in WWE that have been with a company or have left, come back, whatever, that have felt at times their creativity somewhat marginalized. But with you, it seems like you're able to have that freedom of expression, at least more often than not. So has that mm-hmm. buy-in for Alistair Black? Have you felt that come naturally for Vince? Perhaps is it more Paul and Triple H? I mean, Paul Heyman and Triple H, even though they're both Paul, uh, that have played a, a role in, in pushing that forward. How do you think that has come to fruition? Yes and no. Yes, on all the things that you said, but also if I want to be able to put in the own creative content that I wanted to put in, or like being able to defend 
uh, my point of view, defend my standpoint, defend why I wanted to do things the way I wanted to do it. Um, you know, it, it would have, we would have never gotten so deep into this character. We would have never gotten so deep into the evolution of Alistair Black. And, uh, Paul played a very vital part in that because I have someone like Paul who is able to say, hey, look at this. You know, next week, let's do it like this. Hey, this and that, this and that. And the funny thing is there's a lot of stuff about my problem was that people, some people starting to realize and catch up to it right now. And, uh, I always throw subliminal messages in my promos and, um, one of the things that was funny is like someone noted it out that before I was wrestling uh, uh, Cesaro, he was saying, "Hey, the background line, Alistair Black's promos changed, and it looks like it's the color of Cesaro." I was like, "Yep, that's stuff that we're doing." So there's a lot of stuff for fans to go back into my old promos and pick things up where either I use certain words that form a completely a promo on its own. Or there is like light changes, or there is like, you know, certain things that I'm wearing that like allude to what I'm doing next. So, you know, we we wanted to create Alistair Black on the main roster with a lot more subtle depth. And I have a lot of things with Paul to thank for that because Paul was on board since day one. Because that's the cool thing about Alistair Black. Um, a lot of his stuff is very subtle and not necessarily you're going to see it in one go, but once you start seeing it and start understanding it, you're going to go, wait a minute, I knew it was, you know what I mean? So, and, you know, it takes a long time for that to come in, uh, it, to come intuition and to come in, like, fulfillment for for fans who see that and understand that. And it takes a lot of work. I feel like someone gave you the cheat sheet to this interview because you're kind of answering questions even before I get to them. So the, I, I, that, that, I, that's I, where I, I was going. <laughs> no, you that's true. You do have experience with this. Um, but I, I was going to talk about your promo from Monday, and far be it for me to say, I actually think it was maybe one of the best you've done in WWE, period. But I remember last time that you spoke and you just mentioned it again, that telling me something, everything that you wear, everything you say, everything you do, how the promos are shot, all have some level of significance. And what we saw in that one was we saw the smoke and the music in the background, but we also, correct me if I'm wrong, saw you wearing an amulet or whatever you want to call that around your neck. That to me was yeah. something brand new. So I happen to be curious if there's any special meaning behind that. I'd say keep watching for the next coming weeks, and you'll find out. That is completely fair. Uh, on that note, <laughs> you know, you, because of that and, and many other things, as, as we've mentioned, you do have kind of one of the most, you know, unique characters we've seen in WWE in quite some time, and the lyrics mm -hmm. of your entrance are kind of fitting. You know, no man is truly yeah. good, no man is truly evil, and I know yeah. you've put a lot of time and effort into the character, the supernatural feeling without being completely mm -hmm. supernatural, the psychology Correct. behind it. Um, so I'm just wondering, are you able to, I mean, I know you're able to, can you articulate how you see yourself perhaps beyond the surface level that most fans pick up from watching TV? So one of the things that, and, I, and I've said this in, 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 in some interviews before, one of the things that I always try to like emulate with Alice Black is exactly what you're saying. It's the feeling of supernatural without being hokey, over-the-top, supernatural, right? I like to think of Alistair Black as being a conspiracy. I like Alistair Black to have subliminal messages. I like Alistair Black to leave behind a legacy that is not necessarily only for right now, 
But for 40, 50 years down the line, when, like, you know, we've got these, like, super fans that dissect everything and, you know, bless them because, you know, I love them because they're so, so hyper-focused on wrestling. They're so passionate about what we do. And they're going to, like, sit down and they're going to dissect what I said. And they're going to dissect the colors in the background. They're going to dissect what I'm wearing. And they're going to come to some conclusions with the way that I'm thinking. And they're going to relate it to, you know, a match that was on the card or... Um, an opponent that I was facing next. And I think what makes Alistair Black almost transcend a lot of the new stuff is that I will do things deliberately to wait and see what fans are saying, and then I'll either use that against them or I'll use that with them to the sense of, like, um, you know, Alistair Black is, uh, is, 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 is such and such. I think that he's trying to portray this and this. And I'll be like, well, I'm not, but now I'm going to just to see what, what it does. You know what I mean? I'm just my, – my, my character is completely based off what I either want the, the universe or the fan base to think or what I perceive them to think and they understand Alistair Black as and then flip that on them or use it with them. That's yeah. a bit of a vague answer. No, no, it's not. Um, it's, 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 you know, I, again, I, I like to think of Elsa Black as almost being a conspiracy. Elsa Black is like a, like a worst Waldo puzzle. Sure. And, and it's great that you have that type of freedom and creativity. Again, it's, it's not that everyone doesn't. It's just, it's, it's obvious really coming from you. And that is certainly yeah. what makes the character so special. Now, speaking of special, there's been a lot of firsts and milestones uh, that have been reached in WWE recently. And certainly you are in a unique position. Being a superstar of major stature from, you know, Holland, the Netherlands. Uh, yeah. I've always wondered, do you feel any particular pressure or pride in carrying that torch and, and even ascending to potentially being the first ever, you know, world champion from that region? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I, I wouldn't say I feel pressure, but I have a sense of duty. And now you might relate it in saying like, well, that means that there's pressure, but I, I don't feel pressured. I feel that it's a, that I have a duty to my country to not only do us justice, to do us right, but to present us in a good and creative light. And I always try to represent what I do with dignity. And one of the things that I do feel pressured about is because essentially I, I'm, I'm not an English-speaking person, mm-hmm. but I, I do take a lot of pride and I feel pressured into articulating myself correctly and being able to make myself understandable towards the WWE audience or the uh, United, you know, to the United States and the English speaking audience because, you know, I find it important that as a person who doesn't really necessarily speaks English to be understandable and to be relatable to, to a crowd. I feel that's really important. And that also speaks to my country. For sure. No question. And I'll get you out of here on this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, in this new empty arena era, there's a lot of people yep. that have benefited. There's a lot of people that have benefited from it. I think Seth Rollins certainly, uh, his empty arena promos and the ability to develop his character. But Zelina yeah. Vega has really shined, especially coming out of yep. WrestleMania. A couple, uh, you know, a couple shows before Mania, but really in the months since. And you, a couple of weeks ago, had a unique opportunity to have her cut a promo on you where she was yeah. kind of cutting you down a little bit. So there's two questions. Mm-hmm. The first, the first is, you know, I know it pops fans a lot when they see that. Cause we always imagine like the reaction that you guys have afterward, uh, you know, to, to that moment. 
So I'm kind of yeah. curious. Does it pop you guys as well? Do you guys get a kick out of it when she's able to do that to you on screen? And then, and then coming out of that as and then coming out of that as well, does she is she feeling? And I know it's tough to speak for her, but is she feeling like that this past month has been a big boon, a big success uh, to her career in WWE that she's been able to make the most of this moment? Well, she's sitting in front of me right now with a big <laughs> smile on her face when you say that. But um, <laughs> so. Um, like I, I think for her, like she really, she really thinks it's funny uh, to to do that kind of stuff. But at the same time, for both of us, it's work. You know, like I right. don't, I don't like. I think for the outside world, it's a bigger deal than to us. However, of course, it's like unique. You know, what I mean, who 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 can say down the line that like on TV his wife was cussing him out? You know, it's, it's <laughs> of course, of course, it's funny. But like for us, it's like it's it's work. It's what we do, and there's a clear separation in between who Zelina Vega is and who Alistair Black is, and you sure. know who we are at home, and you know what I mean um, what 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 we do in our in our in our, in our free time. Um, but you know, it, it creates a unique opportunity for some unique stuff like this, and you know, to the point of like saying you know with with, with Seth Rollins and like 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 her character development. I feel that most of us are making the best out of yes. this situation because it does create opportunities for a lot of people to shine and like not to uh <coughs> excuse me not to like um you know boost my wife up because she's my wife but I feel like the last two three weeks she's really been carrying the show and I feel like it 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 shows because you know uh, uh the company trusts her to do it she had five to six like segments Mm-hmm. On the show that were almost solely revolving around her, she was carrying it. She was on commentary. She was cutting promos. She was managing. You know what I mean? And I, I think that speaks volumes for you know for, for, for her as a person, but also like as a talent. Like you know, hey, so there's this like weird thing going on. We need people to step up, and she steps up. You know what I mean? And she's yeah. been she's been ready for like a very very long time because um, you know obviously. You know, I, 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 I hear her gripes and I hear her complaints and I hear her frustrations and, you know, that's only normal. We all have that. And it's, uh, the WB is a, is, is a high stress world and it's a, it's, it's a fun world, but it's a very like, you know, everybody there is a professional from start to finish. Everybody who is signed to the WB is coming there, you know, not to play games. Everybody wants to work. Everybody wants to put in their best effort and, you know, she's been looking for that moment. Everything she's ever done, she's done, I, I think, in great, like, she's done great because she's already, like, someone that people, like, remember. You know, she's become an integral part of Raw. And now with the situation that we're in, um, people like her have stepped up to the plate and completely carried, like, like I said, five, six segments in a row. No problem. And she'll, she'll carry 14 segments if she has to because she can't. No, absolutely. And I think this was a successful conversation because you answered a lot of great questions and we somehow managed to get you brownie points with the wife. So all in all, it's it's a big win for Alistair Black today, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, Alistair Black, well, you know, good. <laughs> no, you know, like after this, we're going for ice cream. So she's buying. So, you know, obviously I'm, uh, I'm winning. I'm winning in life. That's why I gave you are. Like, uh, the, <laughs> you're, you're winning in life. And let's, this is how we do it. We transition. We'll see if you can win. This Sunday at WWE, Money in the Bank, when you're in the men's ladder match again, streaming live on WWE Network and uh, airing on pay-per-view beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern. Alistair, man, I really appreciate the time. Best of luck Sunday and best of luck with the career. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. What a pleasure it was to speak with Alistair earlier this week. 
so candid, intelligent, and forthcoming. You do not always get that in these types of interviews, and it was great that he was able to let us inside his process, discuss his character, and also get a peek into his real life. As you heard in our Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview show, I do have him as my choice to win the briefcase, as I think it would be a great decision on WWE's part, and it would be absolutely brilliant for him to have that briefcase, make it his own, and carry it for an extended period of time. Granted, I know both champions right now are good guys, they're faces, um, but the briefcase is something that you can hold for an extended period of time, and that is what I would like Aleister Black to get out of it. The moment of him ultimately winning the title over a heel, maybe an AJ Styles or a Seth Rollins, something like that down the line would be great. Now, many do have AJ Styles going in as the favorite in this match, but this could be one of those rocket ship moments for Black, and I hope he gets it. Okay, up next is none other than WWE champion Drew McIntyre. Spoke with him on Friday morning. He talks about his whirlwind of a 2020, whether he feels more comfortable with this new version of his character, the lessons he learned being outside WWE and returning to the company, his relationships with both Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman, and why Sunday may just be the start of a long feud with Seth Rollins over the title. A pleasure to welcome new WWE champion Drew McIntyre to the show, ahead of WWE Money in the Bank, airing live on Sunday beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern, streaming on WWE Network and available wherever you can get pay-per-view. Drew, we're about a month into this title reign and the introduction of new WWE champion Drew McIntyre. It's getting old because you're not so new anymore. How does it feel, you know, almost 30 days into this, uh, being the WWE champion and, and, you know, something that you've fought for your entire life? Well, it's hard to put into words. Even though it's been a month, it still doesn't quite feel real. I'm in my office at home here, and I've got the title right beside me, and I have to keep checking it, checking the nameplate <laughs> to make sure they still say McIntyre, so that I know it's still real. But yeah, it's going to take me a long time to you know, accept the fact that I finally achieved my dream. For sure. Now, outside of like politicians and medical experts, I'm not sure anyone has done more media than you over the last month. So. Besides doing a lot of interviews and being on Raw every Monday, how have you been spending your time? Are you binging TV shows, spending quality time with the family, a little bit of both? Like, what's happening in the life of Drew McIntyre? Yeah, I mean, like you say, um, I've been doing a lot of media and a lot of extra media on top of that by choice. I see it as my responsibility as WWE Champion and Brand Ambassador to think, how can I get more eyeballs in the product? So I'm eyeing up a lot of people outside of WWE, you know, such as Tyson Fury, and Colby Covington's won a bit of the champ right now. Soccer player Chris Sutton in the UK. But aside all of that, which occupies 90% of my thinking, hey, I do have a wife, I do have two cats, and the, um, and the one, I guess, thing in the world that's able to take my mind off of work and give me some balance in this world is my wife. We go, you know, long walks, we like to find nature trails, and we do binge watch Netflix like crazy. You know, we took out Tiger King. Uh, recently, um, and we've watched uh, a good few crime documentaries. Well, highly recommend uh, American Vandal if you have not seen that yet. Very funny show on Netflix. I have not um, American Vandal. I'll make yeah, it's, it. It's like a mockumentary. It's you know about crime, but it's all based in a school, and it's it, it's you have to see it. It's a little bit adult in nature, but I think you would enjoy it. Um, so you know, the first month of your Tyler reign, as you kind of mentioned, it's been unique to say the least. I know plenty of people have asked you about having your WrestleMania moment without fans, but I'm pretty curious, given these unique circumstances, 
Have you felt the appreciation and approval of the fans in other ways rather than what you would normally expect, which is big cheers when you enter or when you win a match? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to have those big crowds and get that instant feedback from the live audience. Um, but, you know, this is WWE. This is 2020. Um, social media is the, the biggest thing in the world, and we have over a billion followers on social media. And I'm always seeing, uh, you know, everybody's instant feedback on the social media. And I get the feedback from our social media team at WWE. They're always on top of things, and they're blown away, I guess, by the positive response. Because I mentioned this on TV one week, you know, the Internet can sometimes, get, sometimes be a negative place. Sometimes, <laughs> only sometimes. Only sometimes. Uh, but it's been, uh, yeah, but it's been like incredibly positive, and it's amazing just how many people have been, you know, supportive of my journey, getting to the title, and supporting me through this title reign. And uh, it's unbelievable. Cause, you know, you know, Brian uses the word fickle sometimes, but you know, I think people really have, um, you know, got behind me on this journey and kind of see. I don't know a lot of themselves in me. You know, as somebody um, who's overcome a lot to finally achieve his goals, and hopefully, I can inspire others out there to push hard and not give up and achieve their goals, whatever that may be. Yeah, you know, a lot of fans want their favorite wrestlers oftentimes, like you're kind of mentioning, to turn heel or grab an edge that they didn't have. But you kind of came back to WWE with a significant edge, especially compared to your prior character. And it seems now, ever really since January, since you made this latest turn, that you're just out there having fun and getting this opportunity to maybe show more personality and operate on the other side of things, at least how WWE's used you for the last couple of years. Am I reading that right, that this is fun for you, not just that, hey, you know, I'm getting the push of a lifetime, WWE champion, but you are feeling that you're able to kind of share your own personality with the crowd these days? Yeah, and that's, I guess, been the biggest uh, thing for me regarding relatability for the crowd, mm-hmm. but also for me relaxing out there as I finally got the opportunity to, okay, for, you know, you do a good job of, big, angry, serious um, heel. Right. Good guys to work with and uh, very convincing. But, you know, we know there's more to you. Just, you know, let's let's see a little bit of it. And I showed a little bit of it. You know, the management were happy. They gave me some more opportunities in the microphone. And basically, I said to myself, screw it. I'm just going to be myself. If I fall flat in my face, I fall flat in my face. In real life, I'm a bit silly. I'm a bit sarcastic. You know, my wife tells me all the time, don't you try to be funny, but you're not funny. But, you know, that's <laughs> just the real me. But in the end, no matter, you know, what my personality is, in, in the end, Drew McIntyre kicks butt in the ring. Some people have kind of, you know, started getting on board since I started showing that personality. said, man, Drew is a bit, you know, funny, is a bit silly. But when it comes down to it, he really kicks butt. And he's got a real story that I can relate to. And now I can actually relate to this giant Harry Scotsman who I couldn't relate to before. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And, and clearly there's a buy-in with you across the board, of course. You are the new WWE champion. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit wondering... You know, the reaction from Vince, you know, both on the journey and after the title reign, and also with Paul Heyman having such a prominent backstage role on Raw, have you felt extra support or push or advice coming from him on this journey? Yeah, I mean, um, certainly guidance and support um, for both Mr. McMahon um, and Paul Heyman. You know, uh, obviously, I go way back. With both of them, Mr. McMahon proclaimed me as the right. you know, the future of WWE at 24 years old and saw a lot in me. Um, and, you know, he always say he's got crystal ball. He can see into the future. You know, he predicted the WWE Network way before it happened. He predicted the company going public way before it happened. He predicted Drew McIntyre becoming world champion. 
10 years before it happened. You know, so he's always saw um, something special in me. And with regards to Paul Heyman, even during the BNB run and back in uh, those times, he was always on me, giving me advice. He saw a lot in me also. And um, so to come back, like I would say, the company get the experience I got to return and having, you know, Paul Heyman guide me and Mr. McMahon, you know, stepping up and he needs to step in to give me, you know, that top level advice has been invaluable to get into where I'm at right now. And I always say like someone like Paul Heyman kind of knows Drew McIntyre better than Drew McIntyre knows Drew McIntyre. So it helps massively having him, you know, as a secret weapon. During your time away from WWE, and you meant, you talk about it often, of course, um, needing to kind of step away, learn, grow, and, and figure out who you wanted to be as a superstar, as a wrestler. When did it click for you? Like at, at what moment, maybe it was in a match, it was a certain promotion, a title reign. When did you, when did it all kind of hit home and you said, this is who I need to be, this is what's going to get me back there, and this is what could potentially one day make me WWE champion? I guess I can remember the particular moment. And I did have a clear vision in my head, you know, when I was first released from WWE, as I want to just be myself, I want to wrestle, you know, the way I want to wrestle and I want to like show my own kind of personality. But... And like I, I've done a lot of media, you know, recently where I've actually elaborated on some of my stories that when I first came mm. back to WWE, I, like, I'm good at blocking the negativity and, and if, you know, particularly I didn't like or was uncomfortable with it at the time, I can push it out of my head. And when I came back, I was like, you know, as soon as I was released, I was so positive. I had this mission. I went out and I took over the world. That's not exactly true. You know, I've been doing these WWE documentaries over the past few months and we've been sitting with my wife and she started reminding me, you know, Drew, that wasn't exactly the case. So you're good at pushing out that negative, those negative feelings that you were very nervous and you were very worried at the time and you were a bit self-conscious because you'd just been released from your dream job. You know, you hadn't had some, any significant match time. You were in CMB, had any significant promo time, but you were worried all the time. You had a clear vision in your head. Mm-hmm. But you went out there and you were able to pull it off every time. But like I, I guess the phrase is, I was faking it till I made it. Mm-hmm. I kept going. I kept building confidence as I went out there, but I was so worried the whole time until eventually, you know, of different companies gave me the platform to be, you know, the face of the company in England, Scotland, America, all across the world. As time passed, <clears throat> the more I relaxed on the microphone, the more I relaxed in the ring, the more the crowd started getting behind me because they could see, like, that, okay, this guy is having a good time. This guy is enjoying himself, and I'm enjoying watching him now. And I don't know the exact moment it clicked, but there was a point where I was so comfortable I wouldn't have to talk to my opponent. I wouldn't have to think about a promo. Like uh, even like in TNA when we're doing tapings in multiple weeks, they could tell me the general idea. That's what we're trying to get across. You've got about five minutes, go out there and talk. And I was so comfortable with doing it by that point. And that was all because I wasn't trying to play a character. I was just Drew being Drew. And that's exactly where I'm at right now is Drew being Drew. I think a lot of people, especially young in their lives and careers, do have that fake it until you make it mentality. And you don't just realize that everyone is doing that. Like every, everyone fakes it until they make it, until they, you know, figure out their job, figure out their marriage, you know, whatever the case might be. So I'm kind of curious, when you came back to WWE with newfound confidence, certainly a different look, more rugged, more aggressive, did you immediately feel the confidence to speak up, whether it's about storylines, about promos, whatever the situation might be, whereas in the past you may have sat back and said, hey, thanks for giving me the opportunity, I'll do whatever you say. Do you now feel, even before having the title, that you could take a greater control in your character and in your storylines and the way that you were presented on TV. Yeah, absolutely. Since I came back, it's been a priority. Uh, probably 
I don't even know what the other guys' methods are, but I'm very, very hands-on. For me, it's got to be a team effort. We have such talented, uh, you know, writers and minds in WWE. Um, it'd be silly for one, just to let them tell you who you are. Mm-hmm. Two, it'd be egotistical just for you to say, no, it's my way or the highway. You know, the best way you're going to get the best results is use the talented resources we have here, work together as a team effort, and that's how you're going to get the best results. And ever since I've came back, that's how it's been, you know, in NXT with a great team there. And it was a collaboration. Coming back to Raw, it was a collaboration. Whatever the storyline may have been, even if I was in all the groups I was in, like me, Corbin, and Lashley, and some of it didn't always make sense. Mm-hmm. But we always worked together to make the best of every situation. And that's the joy of the teamwork. No matter what the situation presented, it's up to you to make it come across the best way possible. And these days, it's a lot easier for them because they know who I am now. Um, and I obviously know who I am. Now, there's no question that a big part of this run really since January has been the work that you've done with Brock Lesnar, not just at the Royal Rumble and at WrestleMania, but there was also that one episode of Raw where it was apparent, at least to me, naked eye, maybe I, maybe I read it wrong, where <clears throat> he was not only you know putting you over with all the Claymore kicks and allowing you to kind of dominate him, but he even kind of snuck in a little advice for you as that segment played out. I think people have a view of Brock that he doesn't love the business and is some hired mercenary because he isn't on TV every week. Do you feel that's a misconception about him? And what was your experience like working with Brock during such a key time in your career? Yeah, I mean, I've said like a few things publicly, but I don't like to to give too much away because, you know. Sure. um, You you can't kill the Brock mystique, let's say. (laughs) Um, You know, but, uh, you know, he's a very talented individual. He's a once and a lifetime athlete, and he's created this incredible image about him where he is uh, such a huge draw. Well, let's just say that working with Brock and Paul Heyman together, I learned so much, and the reason I'm in the position I'm in now is because of what they were willing to do for me uh, during that time. And I think it's pretty obvious to the to the eye when anyone was following the build for the match and the match itself, like how giving they were during that time. No, that's totally fair. Now, coming up at Money in the Bank on Sunday, you have your, not necessarily your first title defense, but your first major pay-per-view match as WWE champion, uh, defending the title against Seth Rollins. And I think in this empty arena era without fans, you know, people would probably give a break if, you know, a, a storyline or a, a feud didn't get over as well as it might otherwise, or if it struggled, but the the reaction to what you and Seth have been able to do on screen has been epic, at least from my experience. People really love how you guys are, are breaking it down against one another and the storyline that has been developed going into this match. So what's it been like working with Seth? And what do you think people can expect to see on Sunday in this really big match, especially on a pay-per-view that, you know, let's be candid, the Money in the Bank ladder match gets all the press, but here you are as the new WWE champion going right up against the former WWE champion or Universal champion just a couple months ago. Um, big, big, huge headline match here. What's the feeling like going into it, and how has it been really working with Seth? Yeah, it's always great working with Seth. He's somebody that I've worked uh, probably more with than anybody since I returned to WWE, obviously with the roles reversed, um, with himself um, being the the good guy and mm-hmm. generally the good guy, good guy champion. With the roles completely reversed now, and telling, you know, the story we've been telling, um, you know, I, I knew it would be good just because it's Seth, but I've been very, very happy, you know, the way things have been coming together and the story he's telling with his Messiah character, and, um, you know, like he's been there, 
He's been champion in his mind. He's the only one that can lead WWE during this time. It's like unfathomable. Like even though he says, you know, Drew, you're so talented, you deserve this, you worked hard for it. In his mind, there's absolutely nobody that could possibly lead WWE during this time but him. <clears throat> um, I think it's very interesting um, that, you know, his character, I, lo- I love it, like sitting there, like in the ring with him again, a lot of the stuff that I'd we do, we're sitting in these interviews, just listening to him, I kind of get into it, like, man, he really believes uh, all this <laughs> stuff. And, um, it's like interesting, like watching his journey, like even like when the the fans kind of turned, etc. And I'm like, he was like, okay, it's all part of the journey. I can handle that pressure. The pressure doesn't get to me. You can't handle that, Drew. And I was like, clearly you didn't. You handled the pressure great, mate. You're the exact same guy. You've not cracked. Call yourself the Messiah. <laughs> like you're, you're you're handling it just great over there. But in his mind, uh, you know, he's the only one that could possibly lead the company during this. It's very interesting to me. Like I said uh, the other week, you know, he's full of. Crap. I didn't say crap. I was able to say the S word, but sure. I've been loving the build so far in the match on Sunday. You know, I, and this, I think there's so much more legs to this. Mm-hmm. And just because we're just getting a scratch on the surface, we're going to have this match. I guarantee it's going to be a great match. Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre. We've got a good story going into it. But I don't know. I think beyond it, we've got even more we could possibly do. But again, I don't know the plan right now. And I mean that honestly. But I really see more potential to this because we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, it, it definitely does feel something, feel like something, especially considering the characters that you guys are both operating right now, that it could go long term. I'll get you out of here on this final question. Uh, I spoke with Alistair Black earlier this week, and I asked him about the responsibility he feels representing the Netherlands in WWE, and I saw that incredible reaction to your title win in Scotland. And I was wondering if you have been able to understand the reaction that it, it has gotten back home, whether it's family or friends kind of describing what's been going on, have you felt not just, of course, the responsibility to represent, you know, Scotland as the first ever WWE champion from that era, area, but also how much it is being appreciated overseas? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty big. Um, and Scotland, obviously, was only a country of five million people. Um, but the UK in general, you know, the first ever British champion, first ever uh, person from the UK who's won the Royal Rumble, you know, just these past few months in general have been crazy and big for back home. To put it into perspective, you know, over in America, I've been blown away by the amount of big media outlets that have picked up, you know, the news that I won the title and the people that I've spoke to, but back home. And this is the kind of level it was at when I won the title. It was basically the Queen did a speech the day after I won the title. And the two headlines in the, whole, the UK, the biggest two headlines in the BBC, were the Queen does speech. Drew McIntyre wins WWE title, <laughs> and, my, and mine was trending above her. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on right now? This is unbelievable. And that that, that, that was the first day. And since then, we've just been all over the place. The UK is absolutely buzzing about it. But all across the world are buzzing about it. I'm just so excited that I see all this positive feedback. I see everybody, you know, uh, getting really into WWE and what I'm doing as champion right now. And I just can't wait till things open back up. And we can get that, you know, real feedback, which is the live response. And I'm so excited about it when the day finally comes. Absolutely. For Well, from a boy from Air Scotland to WWE champion, you can catch Drew McIntyre defending his newly won title on Sunday against Seth Rollins at WWE Money in the Bank, airing live beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern streaming on WWE Network and airing on pay-per-view. Drew, really appreciate the time. I know you've got a lot more media ahead of you today. I hope you do well, and I hope you have a great day on Sunday. No, thank you, buddy. It was good talking to you. Hopefully you too, man. Again. Absolutely. Thank you.
You know, with so much media coming Drew's way over the last month, I was so thrilled that we were able to get the opportunity to speak with him. I've tried my best to attack some of the same topics he's addressed, but from different angles. But I guess when you do like a thousand interviews in a month, you've probably heard all of the angles before. Still, I thought it was incredibly enlightening how he's handled his return to WWE and this fantastic opportunity that he's been given as the champion, especially in this very unique era. So let's get into getting overtime uh, with us taping the ultimate WWE Money in the Bank preview on Tuesday. Obviously, a couple things were going to fall through the cracks as the rest of the week rolled on ahead of the big show on Sunday. So I wanted to wrap a couple things up before we got out of here. Uh, Roman Reigns did a quick interview with TMZ, I believe it was released Friday morning, where he basically explained his absence from WWE. He said it's not actually about his own health, as doctors have said his immune system is strong, but rather because he has eight-week-old twins and he had to make a tough decision to protect them. He's not exactly sure when he will be back and he's evaluating the situation each day, but he does want to get back to WWE as soon as possible. So hopefully that explanation combined with Reigns promoting a WWE special about him recently. WWE still has him prominently featured in its SmackDown advertising on its website. I hope that puts a lot of the crap to bed that people have been spewing over the last couple of weeks. Uh, One thing we did not mention about Money in the Bank in our Ultimate Preview is how the hacker on SmackDown may end up playing a role in the show. If you watched his last message that aired during Backstage on Tuesday, it looked like he had entered the date of Money in the Bank into the phone as its passcode, which could allude to him debuting or at least having an impact on the pay-per-view. Now, it does seem pretty clear that it's going to be Mustafa Ali, if not Ali and another person. So let's not forget that just one year ago, he was at the top of that ladder, ready to win the briefcase when Brock Lesnar's music hit, costing him that opportunity. So if WWE is booking something with this hacker, and if it does happen to be Ali, leading into that scenario... It would make a lot of sense and it would be a pretty damn good booking strategy to have Ali get a big moment one year after one was taken from him in kayfabe. Uh, Now, Dave Meltzer also reported in his newsletter on Thursday, Kevin Owens has actually been out of action, not just over a request not to work due to the coronavirus, but he's also seriously injured. He hurt his ankle at WrestleMania. So that clarifies why he has not been on TV recently. It doesn't sound like it's something that's going to keep him out six or nine months, but certainly a... uh, significant period of time, so I'm not exactly sure when we're going to see him back. And doing this on Friday, I'm not seeing any additional matches that have been announced at this time for Money in the Bank, uh, not the undercard kickoff show or otherwise. There's also been nothing new announced for SmackDown tonight other than what was previously advertised. And they did advertise a pretty solid show. I believe five segments were advertised entering tonight. I am interested to see what happens as Jeff Hardy makes his return, clearly for a feud with Sheamus. Uh, as well as what happens in the women's picture altogether, not just in the tag team match with Tamina and Lacey Evans teaming up against Bailey and Sasha Banks. How does that storyline advance? But also Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. What does their showdown mean? What comes out of it? Does it have an impact on Money in the Bank? Does the storyline continue past that? We also will have a showdown between Braun Strowman, the Universal Champion, and Bray Wyatt. And as I mentioned previously, I haven't been the biggest fan of the build for this, so maybe... This gives us a really nice go-home moment right ahead of WWE Money in the Bank. Once again, if you haven't heard it enough in this episode, airing Sunday, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. This has been a crazy week for getting over. As I mentioned, Ultimate Money in the Bank preview was released on Tuesday. 
Our Wednesday night recaps were released on Thursday. Of course, you just heard an awesome interview special with Drew McIntyre and Alistair Black. I want to thank both of them for joining the show. I want to thank WWE as well for providing that opportunity. Much appreciated. And one more reminder, Sunday, immediately after Money in the Bank is off the air. Instant analysis of WWE's first pay-per-view since WrestleMania right here on Getting Over. Be sure to go wherever you're listening to this and hit subscribe if you don't already. Follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Five-star ratings and reviews. You know the drill. And tell your friends about these interviews. Hell, post some quotes on Reddit or Twitter or wherever. Let people know what you heard today. Thank you all once again for listening. We'll be talking to you very soon. So I'm just going to leave you with three quick words. Bye for now.